This is so great to be worshiping with you all this morning um, in person. The uh, over the last few months, it's been we just haven't been seeing each other, so it's really fun to just see people, see some of the kids who have, especially the youngest children, how they have grown. Um, we're not doing a scripture reading in the traditional way because we're, we're, as I go through the sermon, we're just going to read through chunks of the passage. It's Isaiah 55, and it's on the back of the sheet that's been handed out. It's the, uh, right next to the confession. And so we'll just kind of be working our way through that. That's the passage that is assigned to us today from the lectionary. And um, one of the things that I've been aware of as I've been, like, I feel like as a church community, we want to be together in the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it has felt like this is a hard season to not be together because there has been a lot of the bad and the ugly going on in our world. I'm getting emails from schools right now as uh, teachers and administrators are trying to figure out how to reopen schools, how kids are going to be together, how you're going to keep uh, teachers and staff who are more vulnerable, safe from getting sick, feels crazy. Uh, racism is before us and evident in our country like perhaps it hasn't been in a long, long time. And now we're also in the midst of an election year, and so you see sort of the dysfunctional communication of the two parties and how they work together. On top of that, Lots of people are facing unemployment or underemployment or cutting of salaries. And at the same time that that's going on, you know, you have stocks hitting all-time highs. So you're, there's like a clear reality that there's these two economies out there. And that doesn't feel healthy or good for a lot of people. And so kind of as you just like step back and you pay attention to what has been happening over the last three, four months while we've been in isolation and socially distancing one another. And there's been a lot of problems going on in our country. And as I have been sitting with these problems and talking with my family and, and some friends, one of the things that often comes up is, well, what can I do? You know, when you're confronted with a problem, when you're confronted with something that's wrong in society, the immediate response is, well, I want to do something to help out. One of the things my wife did, and some of you also participated, was when the pandemic first struck, made masks. After George Floyd was killed, some of you went down in protests in Minneapolis. But there's so many needs and so much hurt out there. Friends who have lost jobs, people who are maybe not feeling well right now. And the question that for me that wells up within me is, as our country and as our society faces all these problems, is what can I do? How can I help? What, what is a way that I can engage and work towards good in our society? Well, in our passage for today, in the Isaiah 55 passage, Isaiah is answering that question, what can we do, for the ancient Israelites who are in the midst of a somewhat similar situation. Theirs maybe was more dire than our situation is, but they were facing a pandemic plague and persecution from foreign oppressors. And they are asking, what can we do? Things are starting to fall apart in our society, and we need to do something. We need to fix what's going on around us. And Isaiah is writing around the 8th century B.C. to a group of people trying to address these things. 
And the first half of his book, if you're familiar with Isaiah, the first half or 40 chapters, 39 chapters or so, Isaiah is sort of outlining what's wrong with society and, and kind of, you know, what are we culpable for? What were the ancient Israelites culpable for? And so he names culpable for oppressing the poor. They are morally licentious, which has caused a, a breakdown in relationships, a breakdown in trust in society. Justice system was a joke. It was privileging the wealthy and exploiting the needy, and their leaders had become corrupt and self-serving, you know, not in a lot of ways so dissimilar to what we face in the United States. And as the Israelites were despairing about their future, and as these foreign oppressors were coming and about to take over their land, our passage reads like a response to the question, what do we do? What do we do in the face of all the problems in the world around us. So if you turn it over, we're going to work through this in chunks. And the first point that Isaiah makes before he kind of digs into, we'll do this, this, and this. The first point he says is, we have to acknowledge that as people trying to do good in the world, trying to do really anything in the world, we have to acknowledge our own inner neediness. Because anytime we show up anywhere, we're showing up with our neediness, our thirstiness, our desire for more. And so the first thing we have to do is acknowledge that and deal with our own inner neediness first. So he says in the first three verses, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. This is giving away. Well, God is giving, it's giving away free. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. So poetically naming that the deep longings of our soul can be met, whether we have money or not. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David." So the first thing that Isaiah is naming, as you and I are aware of kind of the, all the things that are wrong with the world, is that we have to tend to our own thirsty soul. This may seem like a little bit of an over-spiritualization, but fundamentally this is really important for us to acknowledge. Every desire, every thirst ultimately springs from our deep desire our fundamental desire for God. And we satisfy this thirst by turning towards God, by coming to Him. He says, come to me. We turn towards God and we go to God. He says, give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. So as Isaiah is saying, as you kind of set out in the world to do good, first, tend to your own neediness. Turn to the Lord and notice this covenant love that he offers to us. This love that is like a marriage where he binds himself to us. Over the past few weeks, around the 4th of July, we've spent a lot of time, our families, with uh, our siblings, and then our kids have spent time with their cousins. We've had a lot of, our kids have had a lot of cousin time. First with my wife's sister's family, and then more recently with my family. And one of the things that has happened is there's this range of ages from like one all the way up to 16, almost 17 years throughout this time, and lots of, of grandkids. 
And one of the things that I notice is sort of the way that the younger kids and the older kids relate to one another. The um, younger siblings always seem to be wanting to do what the older siblings or the older cousins are getting to do. But oftentimes the younger kids, they have limits on them that the older kids don't have. So for instance, like a younger child will see the older child with their phone playing a video game, but the younger child doesn't have a phone. They want to play a video game, but they have no phone to pull out, and so there's a little bit of frustration there. Or like we were at the, the lake, my parents' lake place, and the um, older kids could just run down and jump in the lake, but the older kids needed an adult, they needed a life jacket to be on, and they were sometimes trying to argue they didn't need to wait for an adult, or they didn't really need to wear their floaties, and they just wanted to go and do what the older siblings were doing. And this obviously happens whenever the younger kids need to go to bed, but the older kids get to stay up later. And oftentimes, as there's this awareness of these other people getting to do things that these younger siblings aren't allowed to do, there is a clear dissatisfaction. The younger the child, the clearer the dissatisfaction, often expressed through tears or, or fighting or arguments or temper tantrums because they're being limited in a way that they don't like. And so they're dealing with those limits with deep dissatisfaction. And as children, either you're a child now or you were a child, we are all faced with this unsatisfying nature of life. There are these limits placed on us. One of the songs that we sing in our household whenever a child bumps up against one of these limits is the Rolling Stones song, You Can't Always Get What You Want. And our kids love it. And immediately they calm down and they're very accepting of that limit. No, it's, it's always frustrating. But uh, children have limited resources and power to transgress those limits. So they just have to come to terms, they have to accept, my life is limited. I have to come face to face with there's just aspects that are unsatisfying. But as we adults, as we get older, our resources and our power expands. And so we can use those, that power and we can use those resources to go after the things that we long, that we believe will satisfy us. Some of us can spend our entire lives trying to scratch that itch of dissatisfaction. But we, I mean, we all know how, how this story plays out, right? We, we buy a new home because we want to be in the right neighborhood with the right friends, and it's still not quite enough. Or we upgrade our phone, thinking that'll eliminate the frustrations we have with technology, and we're just looking for a new gadget a year later. We go on vacation hoping that magical experience maybe will bring some healing to a marital relationship, get the promotion we long for, hoping we'll finally feel like we matter. And the reality is we often discover it's still not enough. There's still something within us that feels unsatisfied. Because these things can't satisfy us. Our spiritual heart is still deeply longing for God, and this dissatisfaction, this longing for God is just getting displaced on all these things. Whether it's a new home or a new phone or a promotion. And becoming a healthy adult, I think we all know this, this isn't like rocket science wisdom. Becoming a healthy adult means that we have to come to terms with some of the ways that life is unsatisfying. I mean, the disappointment that we will always live with. And if we don't, we're just going to waste our money and our time and our energy 
in pursuit of these things that will never, ever satisfy us. I think the reason Isaiah begins his chapter this way is because it's possible when we set out to do some good act, whether it's making a mask or going to a protest or helping a sick friend or giving money to somebody who has lost a job, we can do that out of a place to try and satisfy our need. This is the foundation of all of our action. So whatever we're feel called to do whatever way we want to help our neighbor. We have to recognize that the first thing we have to do is turn towards the Lord and satisfy some of these deep needs of our soul. This is something that is not reserved just for the rich or the smart or the well-educated or those who have status. Isaiah says this, this, every single one of us can turn towards God and experience his love for us in our inner life. And this can then drive the way we interact in the world. He says, come, all you are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, you have no money and still experience this. Come, buy wine, milk, without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? It's just the idea, this is the free grace that God gives to us, this love. We just have to come. We just have to turn towards the Lord and notice and receive this love. And this is the foundation of all action. You and I must begin our journey of changing the world by grounding ourselves in God's love. If we do that, Isaiah says, then we're ready to influence others for good. This is what he says in the second section, in the next few verses. He says that we're gonna, if we can do this, if we intend to our own needs our own thirst, our soul thirst, by turning towards the Lord in love, then we'll be given a platform to implement change. If we can let go of the unsatisfying pursuit of happiness by looking for it in all the wrong places, and instead root ourselves in God's love, then we become leaders and rulers who can bring change to our world. He says this in verse 4 and 5. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and a commander of the peoples, Surely you will summon nations, people you don't even know about, and nations you do not will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. If you and I turn to the Lord, establish ourselves in God's love, You and I become a witness, a leader, a ruler. People run to us because we're endowed with splendor. Why? Because we're so full of love. Because the neediness is gone. We aren't trying to satisfy the deep needs of our souls through other people, getting them to like us, needing to control them or have power over them. We don't need success beating other people to feel like we matter, we have worth. Those needs have been satisfied by the love of God within us. So then, when we're with people, we're free to love them, to serve them, to put ourselves beneath them. And this is what gives us a platform to do some good and affect some change. The third thing Isaiah names is that when we make a difference in the world, it's often rooted in choosing to do the right thing in the obscure and small moments in life. Verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. 
Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. When he says, seek the Lord, we may be found, he's just naming that we can't control what God calls us to do when God's word comes to us. And what I found is that God's voice often comes to us in small and obscure parts of my daily life. I want God, and maybe I'm alone in this, but I want God to tell me to change the world by first becoming great, first be getting power, and then making stuff happen. But listening to God when he may be found means searching for God's voice in my everyday life and then in obedience, doing what God is calling me to do, trusting that he's accomplishing the change in the world that he wants to see happen. So when I hear God's voice say, don't buy that. Pay attention to your wife's request. Check in with your child. Don't rush here. Slow down. This is a time to be generous. Remember, forgive, and forbear. It's the call of Christ. Now's the time to listen, not impress. In these moments, this is finding the Lord while he is near. And I have to recognize his voice and respond in obedience. This is simplicity of what God is calling us to do when we are called to go out and change the world. And then, as if foreseeing our resistance to these small, insignificant acts, these insignificant ways of heeding the Lord's word coming to us, Isaiah preemptively reminds us that the way that God works to change the world is not our way. 8 and 9, verse 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is a rebuke to you and me who resist the smallness of God's call. This is a challenge to our hubris when we think the simple act of leading a life of love in a place of obscurity won't do any good. Jesus changed the world by putting himself under all people. Made it his mission to simply love every person he came in contact with and do what's best for them laying down his rights and privileges as the Son of God. And the Father transformed the whole world through his humble love. Isaiah is reminding us that when we respond to God's call to live a life of love, that may not mean applause or recognition or increase of status. We may do something that change another person's life, but never be thanked for it. God's ways often lead us into obscurity, as we seek to love those around us with a Christ-like divine humility. And then the last section of our passage, verses 10 through 13, Isaiah promises what happens, gives us a vision for how the world changes if we live this life of love. If we root ourselves in love, if we lead others without needing anything from them, if we seek to change the world by heeding God's call in the small things, trusting that God accomplishes his purposes through obedience, then you and I will participate in the transformation of the world. And Isaiah describes this poetically, and this is, I think, appropriate passage for our outdoor service. He says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower 
and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return empty. So we heed God's word in the small calls of our life. But will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. And instead of briars and myrtle, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. And you get this image that the person who's hearing God's call in that small moment when he can be found, choosing to heed that call and respond with a life of love instead of resisting and repenting of the proclivity to to self-aggrandizing, selfish response, but instead heeds it, lives a life of love. In that moment, all of creation, all around us, there's this like tension. Like the birds and the trees and the grass and all the animals around us are watching our action and watching whether we will respond to God's call with love or if we'll take this selfish pathway. If we take the selfish pathway, it's like all of creation feels the ripple of sin echo through the world. But if we choose to go the way of love, it's like the trees start to sway in applause, clapping their hands. Maybe nobody around you is clapping for you. But all of creation starts to celebrate and rejoice as we live a life of love. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mounds and the hills will burst into song before you. All the trees of the field will clap their hands. I think this is what Jesus had in mind as he's living this life of love and he enters Jerusalem And he says, if the people around me don't cry out and rejoice, the rocks will. Creation will start singing her praise. As you and I lead lives of humble love, we find ourselves in rhythm with the world around us and start to experience the joy of creation. Celebrating just the simple act of humble love. So as we are here outside in creation, really breathtakingly beautiful, from up on the hill, you hear creation celebrating your life of love. Trees swaying, birds chirping, beautiful blue sky, the smells feel of the grass. All around us, creation celebrates when we live a life of love. This is the invitation that Isaiah is making to us. If you and I establish ourselves in God's love and seek to heed God's call when it comes to us, not despising small acts of obedience and love to those around us, When we find ourselves in harmony, there's joy as we notice the beauty of creation around us and we find ourselves at peace with our brothers and sisters sitting to our left and our right. Let's close in prayer. God, we give thanks for the beauty of your world. We pause 
to listen. The song of creation celebrating. Father, ground us in your love and help us to know joy and peace as we follow you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.